and welcome to this week's edition of An Organic Conversation, a show about food, ecology, stories from the land, recipes, nature, sustainability, interconnectedness, relationships, and life itself. We're your hosts, Helge Helberg, Mark Mulcahy, and Sita Rani Palomar. Today we are talking about one of my favorite topics, soil. In this hour, we are digging into the foundation of life where all life starts and all life ends. Soil provides everything, food for us, fiber for animals, and feed for animals, and fiber to make clothing for us and for animals. Soil, digging into the foundation of life today on An Organic Conversation. You're really on that fiber for animals. Are you dressing your dog in clothes that we don't know about? <laughs> yes. My dog Timber was saying he's really into those kind of Pekingese sweaters and the little <laughs> the little San Francisco Giants cape that he sees in this neighborhood. <laughs> he wants one We're right own. next to the AT&T ballpark with this studio. Yeah. Fiber for animals, too. From the soil. <laughs> Mark, I'm you not were looking sure how to forward, follow, not sure you how were to, looking forward to the uh, show. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great intro, Helga. That'll remind me. to. I'll always think of the soil differently now. Um, where I was going to go with the intro was actually, you know, the three of us teach uh, seminars on the language of flavor and mm. how ter the terroir of a region affects that flavor. And so this really has me wondering how, you know, how much the soil has to do with flavor. So that's really what I'm interested in digging into today. Yeah, we know it's the climate and the seasons and the water and the seed, but um, we will learn in this hour everything about soil, including how it affects the flavor. Yeah, mm -hmm. great topic. And um, it, it's so related if you listen to the news on fracking, the use of chemicals, um, all that actually destroys soil, and soil and climate change are ultimately connected. Of course, there's a seasonal exchange between carbon, soil carbon, and CO2 in the atmosphere, but we have destroyed so much topsoil that um, the soil is no longer in the same way capable of absorbing all the atmospheric carbon, and it's a huge the soil is a huge carbon sink that could really be playing a major role in addressing global warming, and we'll hear more about that in this hour, of course, Mark. This always comes back to that question that I seem to have every single day is, you know, we're talking about fracking and climate change as opposed to talking about some of the things that we really could be doing. Solution-oriented. I mean, well, no, I mean, I just, you know, it becomes an argument between people who think the fracking is good and people who think the fracking isn't good and, and things like that. And the reality is drilling for oil is a conversation that, uh, you know, it should have been over 20 years ago. Yes, and the role of soil in all of this is the topic of our show today, of this hour. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Harry Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And we'll take a quick break, but stay tuned for our first interview with our fantastic guest here in the studio about soil digging into the foundation of life. That and more when we come back right after the break. Breathe, breathe in the air, set your intention. Dream with care Tomorrow's a new day for everyone A brand new moon and brand new sun And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Today's topic is soil. 
in many countries and cultures revered as the great mother, the provider, the foundation of all life. Soil sustains all living beings around the planet. From food for humans and feed for animals, plants and fiber for clothing and building materials, life without soil would not be possible. We come from it and one day all of us will return to it. But what is it? Well, when we take a closer look, we'll discover that there's no such thing as soil or dirt. Rather, what lies beneath our feet is a kind of superorganism, intelligent beyond what we know, a community of billions of microbes, bacteria, fungi, worms, nematodes, and every stage of decay and plant matter that exists. It's a world of relationships and interdependencies, the ultimate teacher and example of the web of life, and all that in every shoe box full of healthy soil. In this hour, we are digging deep, actually not that deep, because the layer of topsoil is only a few inches deep, sustaining life for millions of years. With us here in the studio is no less but Stephen Andrews, Professor Stephen Andrews, a.k.a. The Dirt Dude. Can you dig it? <laughs> Stephen is a professor <laughs> for soil science and natural resources at UC Berkeley, California, Stephen, so great to have you with us. Thanks for joining us today. Great to be here. It's an honor. Let's let's dive. Let's dig right in. What is what is soil? When are you being asked that question a lot, or do you ask others and get surprising answers? Yeah, actually, soil. Uh, what is soil? Is one of the first questions I like to start off with all of my classes or all of my public presentations. And when I ask that question, "What is soil?" What do you think the usual answer is? Like dirt. Dirt, dirt, exactly. <laughs> and dirt and soil couldn't be more far apart. So for all of our listeners out there in organic land, they need to understand the difference between dirt and soil. And dirt is actually very simple. It's what's in the vacuum cleaner bag, people. It's what's in the carpet. It's what gets on the dog. It's what's on the cat. The dirty clothes. Soil is this beautiful, living amalgam of life chemistry, uh, social institutions, civilization, it's all rolled up into this wonderful stuff that we walk on every day. And in fact, we know less about soil, the most complex biological material on the planet, than we do about deep space and the oceans. Just think about that. The stuff that we walk around on every day, we know less about than space and the oceans. What's wrong with that picture? So let's. What what is soil for you? Um, it, it's. I heard that in in one shoebox of soil there are billions of microorganisms, and as you were saying, we don't even understand those relationships yet, nor have we mapped every single life form in the soil. Is that really where we're at? Yeah, that's really true. I mean, we're we're on the tip of the iceberg, if you will, in terms of understanding the the complex relationships that are actually taking place at a microbial level, but even beyond that. Uh, between plants and soil organisms, between even animals, plants, and soil organisms. And within one teaspoon of living soil, there's more than a billion bacteria, more than 40,000 different species of bacteria. When did you get affected by this? Oh, man, this, <laughs> Because this... you clearly are. <laughs> you know, no, when, when did you really realize that this is such a fascinating topic that you will kind of dedicate your career to it. Yeah, actually, um, you know, I grew up, uh, got nipped on the soil thing when I was knee-high to a grasshopper. I'm from New England, and my backyard used to be the cranberry bogs and the red maple swamps, and uh, I was gardening at the knee of my great-grandfather and my grandparents, and I've always been a gardener, 
and um, just really was amazed by this stuff and then got hooked on science. And it's like chemistry, biology, physics wasn't enough. I need to have something that brought it all together and included <laughs> had this social dimension. And that was like, oh, soil, perfect. And so that's kind of what I went into. And I actually studied hydric soils, which are wetland soils, uh, peats and mucks. So I do a lot of things with uh, uh, the soils that are out in the, the uh, Delta region here in California. But I'm very interested in what's happening with wetlands around the globe because wetlands are so important for things like water purification, clean mm. air, uh, nutrient recycling, removing contaminants uh, that we put into the environment. And with fewer and fewer wetlands now being available globally, uh, those soils in the, the interesting dynamics of those hydric soils become more and more uh, important to us. So what is the role of soil? I mean, when, when I think of soil, it's either I'm walking out in my yard or I'm on a farm is when I mostly think of it. But what is its role in our society? I mean, I think there's a, I think there's a complete disconnect yeah, I would agree. There is a complete disconnect between soil. And part of that is that we've become so absorbed with technology and, and all of these other things, which are great tools and they can actually help us to understand more about soil, which is what I hope people will maybe take away as part of uh, today is using technology to understand what's underneath their feet. But soil itself is a community. It's a dynamic living community. We're all hooked by social networks. Um, we're into Facebook and those kind of things. But, you know, the real social networks, if we or understand what was going on our, under our feet, would blow us away. There are chemical signals that are going out from mycorrhiza, from fungi, to plants that are related to one another. And they're communicating chemically in a network to say, I'm related to you, you're related to me, we can help each other in terms of the nutrients that we exchange and the water that's out there. So civilization, as we think about it, really has risen and has fallen based upon how we treat soil. A really contemporary example is to look at a satellite photo of the Dominican Republic and Haiti right next to one another and look at what's happened in terms of erosion and deforestation in Haiti versus the Dominican Republic. And you can see then the amount of human suffering that's been associated with that. We all know what's happened in Haiti uh, after the earthquake and all that. So we can see that the way that people treat soil, how we approach soil and its utilization, our reverence for soil, uh, looking at it as a living system versus a commodity is, is really important. It's very telling. And it's something that we really need to focus much more on and, and give it its true value. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. And today with us is Dr. Stephen Andrews, the dirt dude from UC Berkeley, soil scientist and natural resources educator, as we're dedicating this hour to one of our favorite topics, soil. Stephen, when did this start? When did soil become dirt? When, when did being dirty or being soiled be a bad thing? Why is hell below and heaven above. Yeah. When, when did we lose the reverence that so many cultures around the world have and still hold as the great mother? For us, it's really, most people have no relationship whatsoever with soil. When did that happen? What happened? Well, I think, you know, in some African cultures, they still actually wash themselves in soil and they dance in soil and children have great reverence for it. In our society, we look at it as dirt, something that we need to get rid of, get off of us. Uh, and I think there's more of a, a public health thing, you know, that it's uh, dirt is somehow associated with disease and something that's going to do us in. 
But, you know, I think it's really quite contrary that there's a lot that comes from soil. And I think this would make a great study, actually, is to look at gardeners that have been uh, associated with soil and around soil microbes and see what the quality of their immune responses is to people that have been isolated from soil for an extended period of time. Yeah, there was just a study of kids, um, small children, babies, eating soil or being exposed to soil, having a much better immune system as a response to it mm -hmm. um, because there are so many microbes and bacteria that you actually need that you know, don't harm you, but your immune system is stronger after fighting those off a little than kids who are never exposed to soil. Yeah, and, you know, one of the interesting things is people forget about is that a lot of our antibiotics, our modern antibiotics, actually come from the soil. And that now many of the most disease-resistant bugs are actually in soil. And we need to actually be exposing ourselves, letting our immune systems build up more so that we have greater tolerance for these superbugs that are kind of out there. Yes. That's that's such an interesting approach. And you mentioned quality and talking about being exposed to it and how the quality of the soil is defining the quality of relationships. So how is the quality of soil defining our quality of society? Well, I have to say we haven't done a very good job in terms of being uh, good soil stewards. The quality of our soil continues to decline. And Ron Amundsen at uh, Berkeley uh, did a study a couple of years back looking at soil diversity in the U.S. And he was the first one that actually came out and started to identify soils as becoming extinct or endangered and threatened. Now, mm -hmm. it's hard for people to think of a soil as becoming extinct. But, you know, I view that as something that's particularly uh, of concern, especially in light of global climate change. What does he mean by that? Well, he means that because that soils have been so overprocessed, so overworked through uh, modern agribusiness, through the use of synthetic fertilizers, pesticides, herbicides, um, every single synthetic chemical agent that you can think of, and then a lot of other ones, you know, there's like 22,000, more than 22,000 um, different agri-chemical products that are out there. Uh, all of those uh, have been exposed to soil and they have a dramatic impact on what's happening within that soil community, uh, both chemically as well as physically, um, not to mention the, the, the biological component. So uh, we haven't done a very good job um, of being good soil stewards. And to think that a soil could become extinct is kind of a mind-blowing thing because we think about endangered species, plants and animals, and what do we do if we want to bring them back? And you're saying the life in the soil, the that 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 soil web, um, those communities, if they don't exist because they were exploited or poisoned, um, the ability of the soil to produce healthy food on its own, to sustain those communities, to hold water. All that is compromised, right? Yeah, exactly. Imagine this. You know, we can take a condor, for an example, as an endangered species, and we can do a, a calf breeding program, and we can make more baby condors. We can take an endangered plant, you know, maybe one of the ones from the Presidio, for example, and we can do a captive breeding program. But you can't take all of the soil food web, and you can't take all of those organisms and do a selective captive breeding program for that. It's just not possible. You also can't take the physical and chemical characteristics of the soil and do some kind of breeding program. Soil's not having sex that we know of. So, you know. But it is. And but we it get is. to that. And then in the next part of the show, we are talking about soil. 
and actually you can build healthy soil. You can make the soil have sex a lot, actually. I'm Helge Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. <laughs> and I'm Sitarani Palomar. <laughs> and with us today is Professor Stephen Andrews, the dirt dude from UC Berkeley, soil scientist and natural resource educator. We'll take a very quick break, but we'll be right back with more on soil digging in deep today. Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue. We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash or checks only. For more information, visit earlsorganic.com. Fry Vineyards is America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated since 1980. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Fry organic and biodynamic wines include delicious Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, Syrah, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. Fry Vineyards Mendocino County award-winning wines without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. And we are back here to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And this hour of An Organic Conversation is dedicated to soil, to the life-giving form and force below our feet. With us in the studio in this hour is Dr. Stephen Andrews, a.k.a. The Dirt Dude from UC Berkeley, soil scientist and natural resources educator. Stephen, again, thanks for coming into the studio for this hour. We know soil is your passion. And um, right before the break, we talked about um, soil sex, uh, soil having the ability, uh, which is not easy, but we have the ability to build soil. You were talking, you know, if an endangered species, plant or animal um, gets endangered, there might be ways to, um, through breeding programs, to, to, to save that species with soil, it's not quite as easy, and we're also talking millions and tens of millions of square miles and hectares and acres around the world that have um, come into a place where it's no longer healthy soil, but we do have the capacity to rebuild soil. How can that be done? We can rebuild soil, and the life's blood of soil is actually organic matter, and organic matter happens to be the smallest fraction uh, within the total soil environment. If we think of a soil as a, uh, the whole of soil as a pie, we could take half of the pie and divide that into water pores and air pores. So I don't know how many of your guests bring props, but I actually have my little prop here, my little sponge. So if you've got a sponge right by the kitchen or out there in the garage, <laughs> grab it and let's take a close look at it because that's going to be our representative of soil for today. And you look at all those nooks and crannies, you know, like a like an English muffin. And while those are pore spaces, great places for water, for air, for nutrients, for organisms. And it's the organisms in the soil that are feeding off of the organic matter that bring that soil to life. 
So we can do our part by pumping the soil with organic matter. And for us, that means compost, compost, compost. And I don't mean yucky compost. I mean good quality stuff. And within your community, there's now a lot of opportunities to look for good compost and find good quality compost. Many states, municipalities. Can you, uh, can you in one sentence explain what compost is? Yeah, it's actually decomposed organic matter. So it's the... Uh, Meaning the, from the banana peel to, yes, the piece of meat, if you're a meat eater, basically any life form that has been heated up in the process of, of natural decomposition. Yes, we take uh, grass clippings, leaves, we take your banana peels, your leftover lettuce, uh, all of those kind of things, and then we mix them together in this great amalgam. There's a balance between carboniferous material and nitrogenous material, so carbon and nitrogen. We mix those in a formula. They get nice and hot. They're a mesophilic and thermophilic bacteria. We get it up to at least 135 degrees, hold it there for at least 15 days, aerate it to make sure that the bugs have plenty of air to do their metabolic work, and they are breaking down all of that material. And as they're doing that, they're producing heat, a byproduct, which is heat, and they are killing off the weeds. They're killing off all of the pathogens like the salmonella and the E. coli, and also a bunch of the nasty viruses and other kind of things that we'd associate with garbage. Um, those kind of things are all taken care of in a good composting process. But even more importantly, good composting degrades all of those nasty organic chemicals that you find down in the big box garden store aisles. Where do they go? And actually the bugs and the heat work to degrade those molecules and to mm. make them inert. So they're no longer the same molecule as they were when they were applied in the environment. So thanks to our bugs, yay, bacteria, microbes, and then thanks to the actual heat that they're giving off to do their metabolic work, they're taking all of that yuck and they're turning it into something that actually is inert and now that we can put back into the soil as a beneficial component and building that organic slice of our pie. And instead of having um, that go to the landfill where it, it would release... Um, you know, gases that contribute sure, to... Sure, methane would be a exactly big greenhouse gas. We don't want that. times stronger than CO2. Um, all that can be literally be turned back into soil or into compost as a soil amendment. And you brought us some samples here. This is being done now in many parts of the country, right? Where Yes, it is. Um, here in the Bay Area, um, you know, there's extensive municipalities. It's now regulated that organic material not be going into uh, the landfills. And so uh, that's the San Francisco Bay Area, of course. Right. Um, and But you were saying in your home in state, my home state of Massachusetts, they are now uh, looking at all organic matter, not to go into landfills, but to be composted. And this is kind of a trend that's happening across the nation that we're trying to keep material, especially like organic material that comes off of your table and that comes out of your backyard. Put it back to where it came from and let's put those nutrients back to where they belong. Just imagine a tree an oak tree growing somewhere. The leaves of that oak tree fall off at the end of the year. They're full of all the nutrients that the tree absorbed when it was growing during the year. Those leaves now fall back and they're decomposed by the decomposers in the soil. And those nutrients are recycled back to the tree and other trees that may be growing underneath it. We want to close the loop on that nutrient cycling. Soil is the master recycler. Let's put the nutrients back where they need to be. 
That's a great point. It's a master recycler. So let's talk about the functions of soil and how it serves us in society. If we were to manage the world through the lens of soil, what would it look like? What would it do? Oh, that's a really good question. You were saying there are five key, right? Yeah, there are five key functions that you know we, we think of as soil performing. The most obvious one, obviously, is that sustains plant and animal life, both above and below ground. But it also regulates water flow. We don't think of soil as being a water purifier, but it is, and it does it for free. It's a super Brita filter. And it is the best way for us to get clean water. Both the microbes and the soil particles themselves are working to clean up our water. So that's really important. We also think about how water moves. Nutrients move in solution to plants. The chemicals and things that we put on to the soil are moving by way of solution, water solution, soil solution. And so we need to remember that because we deposit something somewhere doesn't necessarily mean that it stays there. When it rains or there's some kind of source of water that comes along, that stuff moves. So if if you are the king of organic gardening in, in your particular neighborhood and your next door neighbor is a lover of all things chemical, you know, that stuff's not stopping when it gets to your property boundary. There's no, you're entering the ozone, you're not welcome here. That doesn't exist. And we need to be mindful that what's happening underneath our, our feet is very dynamic. So what we put one place could show up miles away from there. So that's an important that's function. That's a great point, yes. Filtering, For? degrading, um, detoxifying, these are all... Up Processes that are also performed Transforming by Transforming it, yeah. Yeah, and then recycling, you know, taking um, taking organic matter, breaking it down, recycling the carbon, recycling the sulfur, recycling the phosphorus. Uh, all of that is happening underneath our feet. And then last but not least, you know, soil has historically, through civilization, built a building, a building material, you know. And um, if you look at civilizations that used soil as a building material, rammed earth and... Uh, things where they've used animal dung and mixed it with clay. Um, they have a very different quality of life. Their, their connection with the earth, with the soil, is very different from ours. We need to go back to that. And we want to talk about the benefits even beyond that. Um, maybe not a function, but definitely a benefit is terroir, the language of flavor that Mark was describing in the beginning of the show how much soil contributes to actually what your palate experiences. You're listening to An Organic Conversation, and with us is Dr. Stephen Andrews, soil biologist, soil scientist at UC Berkeley, um, the University of Berkeley here in California. I'm Helge Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Citarani Palomar. And we will, for a moment change the topic and the speed, even though completely related, as we are talking about the language of flavor. And we will dive into um, the weekly produce update of what we are seeing in the marketplace with our very own Mark Mukehi. Mark, what's in season? Well, I'm about ready to find out. I've got my good friend, our good friend here, uh, Earl Herrick from Earl's Organic Produce in San Francisco, the voice of the market, on the line to tell us what's going on. Earl, what's in season today? Hey, hey good morning. Welcome. Hi, good Earl. morning. Mm. Well, I'll tell you, what we get to experience now is the wonderfulness of melons. Mm. This time of year, this is when you walk along the dock, and, and many of the small growers don't 
uh, uh, hydrocool their product. We know we talked about that a couple weeks ago. And so they come in and they're warm. You can walk down the dock and see the steam rising off the boxes, and the, and the fragrance is just almost overwhelming. It's like going through an orchid uh, garden or something. Mm. And so that's what's going on because the, the weather is nice and mild here too. So you're not getting these really chilly mornings. So. You're, you're just walking down summertime. Well, and, and Earl, I can remember when I used to walk the docks, that would be almost intoxicating, that, the smell. <laughs> that, that, that's the word. Yeah. That, I want to walk word. the docks. You guys are always talking about how romantic it is to walk the docks with the aromas. Well, I, I just want to say, without going into too much detail here, is that it also takes it takes a person who that's what they find romantic. Mm. Because I've had people on walking docks with me and going, are you kidding me? This, this is what's going on? <laughs> Four and in the I've, morning. And I've had people who are just like, are completely wowed, like the way Earl and I talked about mm-hmm. it. So you yeah. could be completely wowed and find it the most romantic thing that you've, or uh, uh, one of the most things romantic things you've done. Or you could go, I got up at three o'clock in the morning for this. Yeah, so. <laughs> but Earl's the melons are on and ah, they yeah. smell beautiful. What are we seeing? Well, you know, right now you're you're seeing a little bit of Mexican stuff, and and also the beginning of the of the Mexican and the, and the beginning of the domestic. And melons is one of those things that really grow throughout the country, and all you need is some really nice soil and 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 level ground. You know, you've heard of the old truck farmers where they go out and they're just out there pulling melons off the vine and throwing them in the trucks and sell them by the by the road. Um, mostly they're. They're coming out of the desert and then into in, in California. We're talking out of the desert and into the lower valley, which is the San Joaquin. Very very rich soil, perfect temperatures. This has been a great spring and early summer because the temperatures have been mild, which the melons love a consistent a consistent temperature, so it doesn't interrupt their growing. So um, big big spikes. Or, or, or and temperatures are not what you want because if you have three or four days of over 100, 105, which is not unusual in the summer, that's going to cook the vine. That's because that's that's what a melon mm-hmm. is. It's a it's a viney it's a viney growth, a viney plant. So that's so, why we get these early in the season. Yes. Now, so what I really want to condense to is that it's been a perfect perfect spring. The only thing that was a little funny was the the heavy wind the heavy winds we got, which kept the bees at the vines but all that did was slow it down for about a week or two everything else is on schedule nice well on this perfect so since we've had such great weather and now we've got bees fully pollinating again um some of the early varieties uh, what are a couple of the early varieties that we should be looking for right now well of course you got the, you got the familiar cantaloupe uh you also have the wonderful thin uh the 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 Slick skin honeydews and orange flesh honeydews, and then probably my favorite, and maybe yours too, Mark, is the Galea melon. It's one of my favorite. Came from Israel. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. I mean, sweet as sugar, and they don't get super super big, so it's easy to handle all by yourself. Yeah, um, I just want to mention a particular thing that a grower has turned me on to. So melons grow best in warm weather, and warm is really in the 90s and low hundreds. And, and what many farmers do is they they go out into their uh, planting and use the vine uh, uh, leaves because these are very viney and there's a huge amount of leaf. They they put the leaves over the melon to protect them uh, from the sun. Mm-hmm, so they don't oh, get sunburned. That's sunburn. ingenious. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So Earl, how how is the price for melons? What's uh, what's contributing to it, and what can we expect to find? Good good well, deals. 
Yeah, you will. You'll find very promotable deals. There'll be a, lots of ad promotions going on because it is a steady supply, and that's really what you want. Any any retailer wants just to be assured of good steady supply that allows them to make sure that they have enough when they promote an item. So you're going to see good good prices on pretty much all melons. And then when we get around the holidays, as we get further into, you know, as we approach Fourth of July, which is the big watermelon time, we should be getting seeing some very good pricing. Sure, but, sure. you, you had some already, right? Are we talking really nice and sweet already now yeah. in the middle of May? Yeah, we already have. They, they've been cutting really, really well. And that's, that's the beauty because, as Mark's going to tell you in a little bit, melons can be difficult to pick. There's yes. no doubt about mm -hmm. it. We're getting into that right now. Yeah. But you had the, the, the quality is there. Yeah, it really some is. Melons. Cutting, we like to say it's cutting like sugar. Cutting like sugar. Well, that's perfect. Oh, well, that's like a perfect. That. That's, so, with that sweet tip, I think <laughs> I think Earl will will bid you adieu. Thank you so much, uh, and again for always being on the show. And we'll yeah. look forward to talking to you next week. Great, great talk. Thank, Thank you, you Earl. Earl. Have fun with those melons. Thanks, Earl. Yes, a sweet tip from Earl right there. Um, and the, so I'm going to concentrate on the sweet luscious honeydew melon because that's the best way i can describe a honeydew melon and as earl was talking they like that consistent weather because they're a long season crop it actually takes longer to grow honeydews than other melons and because of that longer time in the field it actually makes them more susceptible to insects and to different diseases so in the conventional market that means a lot of uh synthetic pest uh fertilizers and pesticides being used so that might be one reason that you might want to choose organic when you're looking for your honeydews you want to you want to pick you want to pick them out and make sure that they're really firm and weighty as i always say heavy for their size it means they've got a lot of water in them and a nice creamy skin color and you really want to in the store don't be afraid to rub your hands along the edge the outside of the melon it should have a waxy feel to it um And that's how you know you've got a really good um, honeydew. You also want to make sure that at room temperatures, this is key, if you're buying refrigerated melons, take them aside, stick them in your cart, walk around the store a little bit when you do your shopping, and then try to smell it because that's, that's when the fragrance will come out and you'll find that you'll have that aromatic scent that Earl, Earl and I were both talking about. Lastly, um, honeydews are very high in sugar, and unlike most other melons, they continue to ripen after harvest. So that is something that would, gives you that nice, sweet flavor. So you, that's a really important thing to remember. And then one of the things that I'd like to leave you with is honeydews have been around for a long, long time, and many cultures around the world considered honeydews to be known as moon melons. And it was because that they were these white, round, beautiful globes that were filled with rich um, nectar. And so, you know, the next time you buy a honeydew, take it outside and hold it up to the sky, and then you'll actually can have the, you can be holding the moon in your hands. And that's what's in season. That is so sweet, holding the moon in your hands. <laughs> We like that. You're listening to an organic conversation. Thank you, Mark. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And our topic today is soil. And with us is Professor Stephen Andrews, a.k.a. The Dirt Dude, soil scientist and natural resources educator, joining us today all the way from across the bay here in San Francisco from UC Berkeley, California. Stephen, thanks for being with us. We, we kind of left off before the break with terroir, and I know, Mark, that's really your your domain. Well, yeah, yeah, so, dude. Um, Mark? <laughs> 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 well, when I was listening to the What's in Season 
just right now when we were when we were doing it, I was thinking, you know, how how does soil affect the flavor? I mean, would it would it affect in melons? Would it be important in melons? The different types of soils? Yeah, absolutely. the uh, The soil actually affects everything that's growing in it. If we think of wines, for example. You know, wines, a lot of good wines and and wine folks know that the soil that the grape is growing in imparts particular flavors to the grape because it's extracting not only nutrients, but the, the minerals. Those are the nutrients that are being brought up by the grape and those are going into the grape and they are giving it part of its flavor, its essence. If we think of things like fine scotches, you know, that have come from the moorlands and they're in a peaty soil and there's this peaty taste that gets into Mm. uh, these fine single malt scotches. The Irish moss. Yeah, exactly. This stuff, you know, gets into it and it it imparts Mm. a flavor. If we were to take the same kind of carrot and plant it in several different soils and then pull those carrots out. Those carrots would all taste differently. Why? What is happening in the soil that affects the flavor so much? Because it's the mineralogy of that soil. You know, it's what's in the, how much calcium, how much iron, what are the relationships of the organisms uh, to the mineralogy of the soil and the other kind of biology that's there. That biology imparts flavor. You know, and and one of the things that we really need to get into is get out there, folks, and start growing your own. It's important because the average piece of produce travels 1500 miles from who knows where. And, you know, it doesn't have the same flavor. We've been breeding stuff for transportation, not for nutrition, not for flavor. Let's get back on the nutrition flavor bandwagon and dig into the soil and get our hands dirty and grow stuff that tastes like food. Yes, and we we do want to talk about, um, we'll take a quick break again, but we we do want to talk about what happens when you don't feed the soil when you actually feed the plant and you end up with um, less flavor uh, with no terroir, which you can do. Industrial agriculture, of course, um, adds only three components back to the plant and it does grow, but it comes at a price. At a very stay, high price. Stay tuned. I'm Helge Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. Our topic today is soil, and we'll be right back with more. Are you interested in making healthy food your profession? Bowman College is a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Their professional training programs prepare individuals for successful careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Study at one of four locations in California and Colorado or learn from home in a self-paced mentor distance learning program. Find out more about their classes on holistic nutrition and culinary arts at bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue. We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash or checks only. For more information, visit earlsorganic.com. Fry Vineyards is America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated since 1980. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. 
Fry Organic and Biodynamic wines include delicious Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, Syrah, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. Fry Vineyards Mendocino County award-winning wines without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. And we are back here to an organic conversation this week, all about soil. I'm Helge Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And with us is Professor Dr. Stephen Andrews, a.k.a. the Dirt Dude, soil scientist and natural resource educator and absolutely passionate about healthy soil. Before we dive back into that interview, though, here is our very own Chef Sita, Sitarani Palomar, with her holistic bite. Just, just for those of you listening, that sound effect, that's purely Helga. That is not a sound effect that we do digitally. <laughs> so speaking of my co-host, let me poll you and find out whether or not you guys really pay attention to the holistic bite. Can you tell me what phytonutrient you would find in the yellow-orange melons? Yeah, you'd find antioxidants in there. Mm. And, and what would that classification be? What would those nutrients be called? Really, wow. really important. Wow, my goodness. Really important nutrients. No, no, no. Really important nutrients. All right, I'm going to tell you what it is. It's beta carotene. Of course. Beta carotene, oh, you gentlemen. You the simple answer. Yeah, the simple yeah. answer. Oh, I thought okay, you were so for the more complex. Beta carotene is pro-vitamin A, which means that it's a source, a plant-based source of vitamin A that our body can convert into vitamin A. And I talk about how that's really great for your eye health, but it's also really great for your skin health. Vitamin A is also sometimes referred to as retinol. And for those of us who are very active in skincare research and skincare regimen are familiar with retinol topical creams, which are used from everything from the treatment of acne to um, the tightening of fine lines and wrinkles. So in respect to vitamin A, it stimulates the cell renewal and the turnover of immature and damaged cells into healthy cells. And it helps to promote collagen and elastin in the lower layers of your skin. So when I think of summer, I think of glowing skin on smiling faces of people who are eating fresh cut melon in the sun. So that could be you, all bright and glowing, if you choose to eat melons this week and every week this summer. And that is your holistic beauty bite. <laughs> wow, so fun. I'm going to get me some of those. Beta carotene. Yeah, and yeah, I gave you that little note. <laughs> You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palavar. Thank you, um, Sita, for that holistic bite this week on beauty and skincare. And... Um, with us in the studio 
Dr. Stephen Andrews, the Dirt Dude, as we are dedicating this hour to soil and soil health. We learned about terroir, we learned about the soil web and the soil food web and the importance of soil. And we were just touching before the break on you can grow food, you can grow plants in completely destroyed soil um, as long as you feed the plant with nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, and maybe a couple other things, and the plant might look healthy, but it's missing all basic nutrients for optimal plant health. And Stephen, you were saying if it's not in the soil, it cannot be in the plant. If it's not in the plant, it won't be in our diet. Yeah, and a really important thing that um, we need to think about in terms of agribusiness is that a tremendous amount of energy input goes into producing the stuff that we see in the grocery store every day. And that organic production doesn't focus on feeding the plant, it focuses on feeding the soil first and building soil health. And that's where we all should be as home gardeners, is focusing on feeding our soil at home. And when we do that, believe it or not, the plants take care of themselves because we were talking earlier about the relationship of the mycorrhiza in the organisms. Well, they all have this simpatico going on beneath your feet and they are tuned into what needs to happen when a plant needs some calcium, the mycorrhiza, they're there. Okay, let's pump that calcium, get it to my buddies. So there's <laughs> stuff going on under there. Now we're giving you the Reader's Digest version here, obviously, but the bottom line is feed the soil first Think about the plants after that, because that is what's going to give you the best in terms of your home gardening experience. Right. And Helga, you have pretty intimate knowledge about that, too. You did a study when you were a student at Bowman on the nutrition of plants based on the health of the soil. Yes. Bowman College. Shout out to Bowman College, one of the leading culinary arts and holistic nutrition schools in the country. Yes, I was looking at the degree of, of mineral depletion and nutrient depletion in non-organic soils. And then I was looking at the same time at the seven most deadly diseases in the U.S., heart disease, cancer, diabetes, stroke, etc., and um, which minerals and nutrients would support the, the optimal health to avoid these diseases the most or combat these diseases. And um, lo and behold, I found that there was a direct correlation between what's missing in the soil and what's killing us the most. So, And I only tested seven. I'm, I'm curious how far you can track down, but exactly what is missing in the soil is missing in our diet to you know avoid or at least have the optimal health to to be strong enough against those diseases so there's a price that we pay but Stephen you just mentioned you know gardeners and we have lots of listeners that are into gardening how do you have a couple of practical tips if you are a gardener you listen to the show yes you agree healthy soil, wonderful, what do you do? When you look at your soil, how do you know that it's iron deficient? Do you, can you smell it? Can you feel it? Can you, can you sample it? Can you send it somewhere to get it tested? What's your best advice there? Yeah, really good question. So before you put anything onto the soil, any fertilizer, herbicide, pesticide, anything, you should really have your soil tested. And you should have your soil tested so that it also matches with the plant palette that you're interested in growing. And throughout the United States, how do, you, are, how do you match that? You mean like more acidic soil for some plants, less? Yeah. So, for example, you know, blueberries like to be in an yes. acidic soil. And here in California, a lot of our soils tend to be on the more alkaline side. 
And so we have people that are kind of beating their heads against the fence, uh, trying to grow blueberries in a soil that's a pH of 10. Well, you're not going to know that until you go and get your soil tested. So there are a lot of good ways to do that. Can One you do is, it at home or do you need to always send it in? Well, you know, I always recommend that if you're going to do it first time, uh, you're going to do make a big investment in gardening or landscaping. This doesn't just apply to growing home vegetables, but landscaping as well. That it's always a good idea to get a professional soil test. There are some soil tests that are out there that you can get at the big box stores. They're about $20 or so. And they test for four things. They test for pH, nitrate, nitrogen, phosphorus, P2O5 and then uh, potassium K2O. Now, those are okay. Uh, the most important of the four tests that are in there, in my view, is the pH test. And it's really easy to do. And I think it's good to do is around a barbecue thing with the folks from the cul-de-sac and say, you know, let's really talk about our soil uh, and about our gardens kind of thing. And everybody kind of look at the pH, have a conversation about it, and start getting into this idea of we should test before we apply anything. So that's that would be a good way to go with the with the home testing. Um, I wouldn't depend upon a home test, though, in terms of what I should be applying for a specific plant to get a specific crop or a specific flower. Um, I would look to a professional test to do that. And, and how does it work? You go online, you get a sample kit yeah. sent, you so take a sample. Most states have a cooperative extension service, and you can find them in your county municipal uh, portion of the phone book or online kind of thing. And uh, so go to the cooperative extension service, all uh, land grant institutions, state universities are typically associated with this. I'll do a shout out to the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. They'll accept your sample uh, from anywhere around the country. And for about $30, they will process your, your sample. You go to their for website. anywhere around the country, right? Anywhere, anywhere around the country. wherever you're listening, if you send it to university at Amherst. Yep, it's www.umass.edu slash soil test. And if you uh, go to their website, it'll tell you how to prepare the sample, how to send it in. Uh, it takes about 10 to 14 days, and they'll even outline for you uh, what you need to do as you're sending the sample in. You don't need to be a Red Sox fan, do you? No, but it would sure help if you yeah, told them if you that. get it back faster. <laughs> and then if you're a Patriots fan, that'll go okay, too. <laughs> Steve, you were saying you also do like a little hand test. You can look at the soil. Yeah. You can see the structure. So um, one thing that I think people really need to get more into is like touch your soil, feel your soil. It's called hand texturing. And just knowing the physical characteristics of your soil, how much sand, silt, and clay. Sand feels gritty. Silt feels smooth and sensuous. Clay feels sticky. Those three particles make up soil. And when we know what fraction they are within the soil, it can tell us a lot about moisture holding capacity. And it can tell us about how droughty the soil is going to be, for example. It can tell us a little about tilth. So a lot of physical characteristics we can learn from that. And there's a great uh, USDA website. It's called www.websoilsurvey.nrcs, which stands for Natural Resources Conservation Service, .usda.gov. And if you go to that, you can actually download, download what I brought into the studio today, which is a little hand texturing chart. And you can follow the little flow chart that's uh, outlined on the uh, sheet and you can actually determine what kind of soil texture you have. Now, most people want a loam, which is considered gardening nirvana, about 40% sand, 40% silt, 20% clay. But not everybody has that. So go check out the website, download it, texture your soil, find out if you really have a clay or whether you have a sandy soil and the characteristics associated with that.
And then, uh, of course, amend the soil with compost and cover the soil with wood chips or some kind of mulch to keep it protected. We have one quick last question, yes, which is I know, the biggest not much question time, of all. But we would love to find out, because those are some great practical tips in our own backyard, but what can we do to heal the soil on a larger scale? How can we be better stewards of the land? Okay, so better stewards of the land, definitely compost, compost, compost. Add that organic matter back to the soil. That's where it belongs. And then don't leave the soil naked. Cover it with mulch. You know, put a blanket over it. You wouldn't want to be left out in the cold. The soil needs to be covered too. And last but not least, don't suffocate the soil by wrapping it in plastics and all those kind of things. Would you want to be shrink-wrapped? Soil doesn't want to be shrink-wrapped either. So compost, add the organic matter, mulch, protect your soil, and you'll be doing the cheapest, most cost-effective things to improve soil quality. Thank you, Steve, for yes, your passion you. and knowledge. That's Dr. Stephen Andrews, the dirt dude, soil scientist and natural resources educator from UC Berkeley. And all those resources, of course, will be on our website. That's facebook.com forward slash an organic conversation. Again, facebook.com forward slash an organic conversation. Well, then, a great hour. So before we exit today's fantastic episode, Helga, I know you have a story for us. What's Helga's organic moment? Yeah, there is, a, there is an organic moment. Yeah. Yes, I do have a Wendell Berry quote to finish the show. The soil is the great connector of lives, the source and destination of all. It is the healer and restorer and resurrector by which disease passes into health, age into youth, death into life. Without proper care for it, we can have no community because without proper care for it, we can have no life. Amen. And that was this week's edition of An Organic Conversation. Thanks for listening. And again, a conversation is production of the Organic Media Network, associate producer Kristen Ponger, studio engineer Robert Costa. If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, visit iTunes or anorganicconversation.com. We host Helga Helberg, Mark Mulcahy, and Sitarani Palomar. And we'll be back right here, same place, same time next week. See you then. Bye. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye now.